Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatic, here with Aaron Cameron. Our partners, Real Estate Forums, have introduced us to Mandy Sutherland, who's a senior consultant, applied research and consulting at Steelcase. The topic today should impact most listeners, I imagine, as we all return to the office, what that's going to look like. It will not look like (laughs) how we left it, I'm sure. And Mandy's here to shed light on exactly what that will be. Mandy, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So as always, your real estate background will be a little different than many of our guests, but it'd be great to hear how you got to where you are at Steelcase and your background that led to this moment in podcast history. Oh, it's a very interesting route. My background just, is... Wait, sorry, Mandy. You just call it podcast history? Come on. Podcast <laughs> history. I don't like to boast us. <laughs> we're not that important. Really, we're not. Sorry, Mandy. Just, that's I okay. Bring, I want to bring Adam down. Come on, Adam. Let's, let's just be honest. Uh, Nobody listens. I'll pop this up. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Mandy, please. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up you are today with Steelcase? Well, it's interesting. I am part of a team that is responsible for bringing the research, the extensive global research that Steelcase does around work, worker, and workplace to clients to help them figure out what they should be doing next with their workplace to create new experiences, new work experiences for their people. And Steelcase has always been a leader in the research side. And many, many years ago, I was part of the organization, the sales organization, funnily enough, where sharing the research with clients and helping them to make some decisions about what's next. And inevitably, they would say to us, great, now can you help us? And so at that time, there was no formal consulting group to help actually apply the research. So there were a number of us in the field, and this is in the days where you could invent your job. There were a number of us in the field all over North America who were actually leveraging that research to help clients make decisions. And then in 2003, they decided, let's get all these people together and create a formal consulting practice. And so we formed the Applied Research and Consulting Team, often called ARC, to help clients actually do that in a very cohesive way and taking a global perspective and really getting deep into the research. So my background is social sciences. I have a psychology degree way, way back. And we're a mixed bag of people who come from design, business consulting, architecture, and the social sciences as well. And we get deep into culture, we get into change management, as well as helping to drive the work experience through space. So a bit of a long answer. No, no, not at all. One of my favorite comments that I've heard on this podcast is by a gentleman named Peter Cuthbert of Fiera Capital. And he said, you know, we're in the business of housing enterprise. And that really just encompasses the purpose of real estate, right? From whether it's from the retail side or the the multifamily side or whatever. And the topic today is, I think, really fascinating because as a kind of a sliver of that concept of housing enterprise, we all, as a society, we all interact with office space. Mm -hmm. And for... Again, I'm only 11 or 12 years into my office space use career, but you know, for the longest time, as I can understand anyway from my experience, it slowly but surely the office space use has been evolving into smaller and smaller and smaller personal space and more mm-hmm. density. Mm-hmm. And so this is an inflection point in our societal use of office space. And maybe I'll just leave it there. What kind of things are you talking about? What kind of things are you experiencing with your clients? about reverting maybe away from 
that densification of office mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the whole densification piece was really driven by the cost of real estate and making these workstations smaller and smaller. And for a long time, I mean, all through the 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s, organizations were primarily focusing on the individual spaces, the I spaces. And then if there was space left over, they'd add the we spaces or the collaborative spaces. But as collaboration, creativity, innovation has become so critical for business success, more and more attention is being paid to creating these shared spaces where these ideas happen, where people connect where they build their social capital, where they share ideas, that type of thing. And so organizations maybe weren't willing to take on more real estate, started to think about, wow, if people are spending more and more time in this collaborative mode, maybe we should be focusing more attention on this. And maybe we don't need as many desks because when we start to look at or measure the occupancy of those desks, people are spending more and more time in these meeting spaces, these collaborative zones. And so over the last, I would say, 10 years, we've seen the rise of this idea of campus mobility and not necessarily unassigned seating. That's the term I'm looking for. So unassigned seating. So people will start to share desks, whatever model that looks like. Sometimes it's free address. Sometimes it's what they call activity-based work, whatever. And that's <laughs> gone me. now, right? Can we just assume like that's just no longer a concept no. being contemplated? No, organizations are still going down that route. I mean, right now is an unusual situation where they are, we're having to do a lot of what we're doing right now because of COVID. But in the future, most of the organizations we're talking to, if they were going down that path, are going to continue to do that. But in the near term, it's really about making sure that there are strong protocols in place around cleaning and disinfecting. But with a lot of organizations who had a high degree of density, who were using this kind of campus mobile approach, the desks weren't owned before COVID and they can't suddenly add a whole bunch of desks and have everybody own them. So people are cycling through the office, but instead of sharing the desks for minutes or hours, they might for a day or for several days or a week. And then someone else is cycling through or another group is cycling through and in between there's this deep cleaning that's happening. So in this particular situation during COVID, they're having to modify behavior and the way they use their space to support things like the density and the social distance and all that stuff. A lot of those are, not to use a diminishing term like band-aid solution, but those are more immediate responses to the pandemic. I mean, First National is an interesting point in that we are moving into brand new space in a year. And actually, I think Aaron is on the committee for that space design. Am I wrong, Aaron? I mean, committee might be stretching it, but part of the helping to contribute to decision-making, sure, yeah. So we've got a unique blank slate coming up where we wouldn't be doing things like, you know, Band-Aid solutions where it would be a higher clean protocol. We would be able to implement real strategy. So companies like us that have the opportunity, a clean slate coming up, do you see a longer lasting response to the overall design? Or is this just a matter of napalming your desk twice a day? for the next year or so and then uh, continuing on as normal. Yeah, and, and Mandy, before you answer that question, let me just add to, and this is something that's kind of starting to come up more and more as Adam and I do these types of interviews, yeah. is the sort of the myopic response versus taking a long-term perspective yes. and saying, listen, we're just, like, if you're going to retrofit an office space or you're moving to a new space, mm-hmm. like, that's a 15, 20, 25 year, I don't know, like, pick a duration. Yep. Reacting to what's going on today is probably pretty short-sighted. So yep. how are those conversations yep. transpiring? Excellent question. So what's really happening because of this whole COVID thing? Organizations are recognizing that many people, in fact, can work from home for periods of time and definitely can get their individual focus type work done. And 
a lot of organizations are also recognizing, as I mentioned before, that creative collaboration that's necessary for innovation isn't as easily done at home. It needs to be done in the office. So a lot of organizations are starting to think about maybe the office takes on a whole new meaning. Maybe it's less about coming to the office to do your email or to do routine processing tasks. Maybe it's about coming to the office to build your network, to learn, to coach and mentor, to do that creative collaboration, to have those serendipitous encounters with other people. And so there's some thought in the future. And again, this is evolving daily that the genie's out of the bottle. People are going to still want to have some degree of flexibility. And that was just being introduced before COVID. And a lot of organizations were struggling with the thought of anybody working from home for a day, a half a day, whatever. But what they're finding is that if they have the right management practices in place, they have the right measures in place, and there's clear communication, it's entirely possible. So there's some thinking around then the value of the workplaces is becoming even more important as a place of connecting and collaborating. So the key for the future, regardless of what you do now, near or far, is flexibility. We have to be ready to be able to pivot quickly and respond to whatever comes our way, whether it's another pandemic, whether it's an environmental disaster or an economic one. The office environment has to be able to react quickly because the organization is going to need to react quickly. But this period, I think, is teaching us a lot of things around what does it mean to be a good leader? Do we need to maybe start shifting our models from being tactical managers to strategic leaders and being coaches and mentors? Does our workplace need to be able to pivot quickly to support not just some sort of crisis, but to really be able to shift quickly to address maybe a shift in the marketplace and the way we go to market? Maybe it's about shifting the next generation that are coming in and they have a completely different way of working. So I think the key for anybody, and I would highly recommend it for your organization, think flexibility. Can we expand and contract? And flexibility in the space, flexibility in the technology, the products, and also really importantly, in the people. Can the people and the teams flex quickly as well? In the short term, how are your clients handling sort of just the safety and security? Like We're all still sitting in quarantine. I don't know of any businesses that are really kind of back to work other than a few. But I think we're all hopeful that we're transitioning there Mm -hmm. sooner rather than later. At First National, we've been kind of branding the next normal concept. What are your clients saying that that looks like? Whether if it's safety, security, you know, that clean and social distancing concept, density reduction, you know, common space use. I mean, I'll put this one out there. This is a bit curious, but you can't plan when you have to go to the washroom. How do you manage when all of a sudden a flood of people need to use the bathroom all at the yeah. same time and now they're interacting on each other? Like yeah. you have scheduling and like meeting components or however, like how does that work? Yeah, well, again, we're all still learning that. And there's anybody who's back to the office already, it's in such small numbers. So maybe that's not as much of an issue. But there's definitely this idea of in the past, we probably didn't have to think of that. You know, we didn't have to think about where we came and sat down. We didn't have to think about how we moved through the office. All of these things are having to be choreographed by organizations right now. And so many of our clients have developed these COVID response teams, where they're starting to unpack the experience of working in the office from the time that people are leaving home to entering the building 
going up the elevator, coming in the front doors, moving through the spaces. And really, the smart ones are really breaking it down and thinking about what are all the potential pain points, the issues, the challenges. So they're thinking about these things. So the bathroom break, the elevator piece is already becoming a challenge. And so there's a lot of discussion around staggering work time. So you don't have that initial rush of everybody coming in at the same time. You can't go there's- get your coffee. I mean, I think I, a lot of my staff, would they come in get themselves settled and after 20 minutes, go and jump in the elevator and go back down and get your coffee. Yeah, yeah. So really, it's going to force organizations to think about how do we become more maybe supporting those moments that we just take for granted, that we just do, that we don't think about. I think being able to unpack and kind of walk through a typical day in the life of what it looked like before and now what it looks like is going to be critical. And then thinking about the problem solving along the way. I know one of the things we're doing in our headquarters down in Grand Rapids is they're doing kind of this idea of, you know, how we order from a restaurant and then you do curbside pickup. They're doing the same thing for lunches. So you, you know, go on your app on your phone and you'd order up your lunch and then there'd be kind of like a curbside pickup. So there's things like that. Something else that uh, we're actually doing is we're leveraging sensors, our own sensors, to start to measure occupancy so we can see the density to know when to be doing more cleaning, but also that people can know how full the office is at any one time. So I think that's going to become more important, this idea of being able to measure occupancy, to be able to do more hands-free things in the office, whether it's being able to book a meeting room or to use technology, that type of thing. But in the now and near, it's really going to be about the protocols, the cleaning. And I hope people will go back to the office and also be thinking in the same way they are now. They're empathetic to their family and they want to take care of each other. I'm hoping when everybody goes back to the office or more people go back, that they will continue with that mindset and be very aware of their neighbors. You mentioned uh, uh, sensors. I've also heard about elevator buttons that would be just a hologram. So you would place your finger in midair, thereby enabling you not to touch the actual elevator button, spread germs around. On the cool high-tech gadget side, other than sensors, what do you see kind of on the horizon to solve some of these problems? Well, I can talk most about things like hands-free booking of rooms, hands-free on virtual technology tools. Who knows? Maybe we'll have hands-free. You can wave your hand over the desk and it goes up and down, but it's still kind of murky in the future in terms of what's happening there. But, you know, voice active... working away somewhere? Yeah. Well, for... Yeah, well, voice activated. One of the things we're talking about is voice activated Microsoft Surface hubs that you can actually connect to it through your voice. Being able to find people through what we have as like a live map which allows you to use an interface between Microsoft Office and the sensor system. So there's a lot of things coming on the horizon, guys, but I don't, I'm not an expert on that area. Well, maybe they don't exist yet before I be part of it because this is all very new and technology rollout can uh, take uh, quite a bit of time. Well, and I think the really cool thing is in every crisis is an amazing opportunity for innovation. And I think there'll be an innovation in products, there'll be innovation in technology, but I also think there'll be an innovation around how people work and get work accomplished. New processes. I've got to believe that as people are working from home, and let's face it, the first month or two, we're basically in a triage where we just wanted to make sure we don't bleed to death. People were getting by, and I'm sure there's a lot of creativity in terms of how to get work accomplished. And I'm sure, hopefully, some of the more redundant, less important processes were abandoned, and people were thinking of new ways to accomplish work. And hopefully, those things will continue back into the office. 
you know, I have a question. This is kind of personal only because this has been my own experience of working from home. We're now, I don't know, week 12 or something like that. And I've got a, a variety of different teams that kind of fall within my purview. And I would qualify myself as sort of managing with my feet. So I I probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any particular motivation for walking around, but I would just walk around and the incidental conversations mm-hmm. were so valuable mm-hmm. for me just to be involved and, mm-hmm. and help out wherever it would be. And it's amazing, you know, at the time I'd walk around and just because I was standing there, I, you know, a hand would go up or somebody would come up with a question and now working from home and being in isolation or quarantine, I'm not nearly having, I'm not having nearly as many of those types of water cooler okay, moments right. or whatever it would be. Right. What's the thought? Like, how is how are your clients mm. trying to replicate that? Again, like you even talked about, you know, maybe we'll work at, you know, 30% of the, of the office comes in at any particular time. But if you're not all there, you lose culture, you lose that incidental, you lose that water. Exactly. Experience. How do you replicate that work? From yeah. Other than what I'm trying to figure out is just randomly calling everybody, you know, without spontaneously, right? Right. Well, you know what's really interesting about this is this experience is going to really help to bring the really good leaders to the forefront and the ones that are have been skating by. <laughs> we're going to, you know, are, it's going to be harder to hide. So the really good leaders that we've been finding have been communicating extensively with their people. So what used to be kind of informal, I'd bump into you in the cafe, I'd bump into the hall, we start a conversation, has become a lot more deliberate has been a lot more planful. But the calls aren't necessarily just to check up on business. Through this period of time, there's been a lot of empathy shown. Like they're actually finding out, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you guys okay? So working with a bunch of leaders actually in Cluj and places like Kuala Lumpur and stuff, they were saying it was, it's been a lot of hard work. They've been much busier because they have to be more intentional about checking in with their staff and staying updated and aligned, but also making sure that everybody's okay. So the challenge for leaders is to be more intentional and think about how do we stay aligned as a team, communicating effectively the visibility and making visible the objectives and the metrics, helping people to understand how decisions were made and why they're made, all of those types of things where they used to be somewhat spontaneous now have to be much more deliberate. And the same thing goes for teams and people. I mean, it's a lot harder to collaborate virtually if you've never been a team before this, that you haven't built that social capital, you haven't had an experience working face-to-face. Because the face-to-face is what builds the trust, the familiarity, makes you feel like you can take risks. So teams that have done really well, or have done quite well, actually, virtually, are the ones that have worked together before in person. But virtually, it's really hard for new people to onboard, to know who the right people are because they don't just see things happening. It's not like, a oh, let's grab Mark and take him over here to meet him, to introduce him to this person. So even onboarding from a leadership perspective has to be much more intentional. Hearing things like the buddy system, creating buddies for new people because they can't just, the cool thing about the office is you see work in progress. You can walk by a meeting and overhear something and learn something, or you can see something on a whiteboard board or a wall and either learn something or go, oh my gosh, I know something about that I, in my last role or job and be able to jump into a meeting. I mean, you can't do that virtually. So it's like leaders are going to have to work even harder to keep their people connected, to keep them aligned, to really read the mood. And there needs to be more intentional culture building in all honesty, because up until now, 
and it'll continue to be actually, I'm going to amend that. Culture breathes in space. And so, and if culture is really behavior over time and space has really helped us to kind of create the experiences that build culture, if people two things. If people are working more from home, it's going to have to be much more intentional thinking about those moments that they orchestrate to create those connections. And the time in the office is going to be that much more critical because not everybody's going to be there 100% of the time. So how to make those moments count, building opportunities when they're in the office to have those connections, but also making sure that the office provides the cues and clues to prompt that kind of behavior, to encourage collisions. So it's not just about the stuff in the office, it's how it's oriented in the office to pull people through, to provide them with the right kinds of views into other teams and into leadership areas and things like that to keep people aligned and help give them the clear messages about this is the way we do things around here and this is who we are and this is what's important to us. It's funny that you use the fictional name Mark as the example of an employee hired during COVID because a commercial department of First National, we do have a brand new employee who came to the company named Mark. So a shout out to Mark Dykin and welcome to First National or welcome back to First National. But just uh, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned you know, Kuala Lumpur and what they're doing there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Steelcase has a pretty big global presence. Is there, are you, do you get exposure to markets that are way further ahead of this than us? You know, have you been drawing any best practices or mm-hmm. have you seen any failures of introduction back into the workspace in markets outside of uh, you know the ones that we track over here? Yeah, it's really interesting. Places like Kuala Lumpur, Cluj, Monterey, those are three of our big global business centers that they're in the same boat. They're just starting to bring people back. They're practicing all the things that I was talking about. In China, you know, we did some research in China, around China to see what's going on there. And really, it's they've done this before. And so they understand the importance of leaving the mask on, respecting the distance, wash your hands, clean up after yourself. They still have people working from home part-time, if not full-time. So even in places like China that's farther ahead, they are, they're doing the things that we're talking about and we're learning from them constantly. Obviously, a lot of what we're doing and recommending to clients and what clients are doing is being guided by the World Health Organization, the CDC and all that kind of thing. But what's interesting, I think, and challenging about places like China, soon to be New York City, is that in these big cities, the big issue isn't the office, it's the commute to work. It's getting in the building into these high rises. And so this idea of staggering work times, they're doing that, maybe even some shift work, that type of thing, doing the temperature checks outside before they come into the building. So people are lining up six feet apart outside of a building and having their temperatures taken, having a process where very clear protocols that if you feel the slightest bit ill, you do not come into the office. And there's also been, interestingly enough, a really big uptake in the use of virtual collaboration tools like Microsoft Teams and Zoom. I mean, apparently a very small proportion of people were actually using it pre-COVID, but about four or five months ago, a lot of some of these organizations have started implementing them and now they're all using them. So it's really sped up the adoption of new collaboration tools, virtual collaboration tools. But yeah, the things that we're talking about, they're already doing and that's what we're learning from. I think straight across the board, it's been beneficial that COVID-19 came here after. We got to learn from others' mistakes straight through this entire process, which has been great. Before we let you go, Mandy, I want to ask you one question that's been hotly debated in the the real estate investment community. And we've touched on a couple of points here. So for office space, there's a theory that usage and demand will increase 
due to companies now needing more per square feet per employee. Whereas there's also an argument to be made that there's going to be a shrinkage due to work from home on an ongoing basis. And that these two forces are going to push and pull in opposite directions to influence future office demand. So are you bullish on expansion or on shrinkage overall in the office space? I am going to ride the middle because in the past, it's really dependent on the client, their business, and their ethos around the value that they put on space as it relates to building culture, innovation, learning, that type of thing. So organizations that were all about compressing real estate will probably continue to compress real estate. But one word of caution I would have is if you take away the office completely, we learned this lesson in the 90s. It really had a negative impact on retention for organizations. It had a negative impact on leadership development and knowing who those up and coming leaders were. It also had an impact on the speed of innovation for those organizations. So there may be some organizations who have been really heavy on individual, individually owned desks they might find that they can reduce some of the real estate, but more organizations are talking about reallocating their de-densifying the individual spaces and reallocating the additional real estate to these shared spaces, these collaborative zones, these social zones, because of their recognition of the importance of this for the success of the organization. And then there's in areas where there's maybe the real estate is less expensive. We're hearing of some saying they're going to take on more. Something that's kind of interesting we're hearing about, especially in the States, is this idea of satellite offices. So where the head office might become the place that is sort of almost like a learning center where you come and you're doing kind of innovation jams or you're doing networking or you're doing learning experiences or certain types of high-profile collaboration. It's the primary function is that. And then there's discussion about putting these satellite offices more into the suburban communities so that people don't necessarily have to commute all the way into the office. But if they can't work at home, there's places they can go and do individual work that's still being controlled by the company so they can control the experience, the brand messaging and everything like that. So I don't think there is any one right answer. I think part of this is going to be driven by the ethos of the organization. I think it's going to be trial and error. And I think it's going to it's going to be a matter of everybody kind of looking at each other to see what's working for them. But we firmly believe, I mean, it's our business, but we do firmly believe that the office is here to stay. It's just a matter of how important it is to an organization for them to innovate, create, grow, be agile, build culture. That's going to, I think, is going to shape and drive the office of the future. I find that an interesting concept, the the proliferation of the satellite offices, only because, I mean, in cities, major urban centers like Toronto in particular, but I think Vancouver and Montreal will probably fall into those where an hour or an hour and a half commute is not unusual, not even through sitting in your own car, which I think is more secure and safe in a pandemic scenario. But even you can take an hour and a half often taking public transit. So yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people that choose not to do that. But if they could drive 10 minutes to their sort of small little office space that's been created, that changes the dynamic and allows them to still be part of a culture and not working in their basement or dealing with their children, you know, or whatever it may be. So I find that really fascinating. You know, I think that leads us to kind of maybe the last topic, Mandy, before we kind of wrap this up, but just about how are your clients handling the transition, right? There's an expectation that, Things are going to be different. 
And what do you do when you're trying to, to manage a company as it relates to the, just the office space use and how are leaders managing that change? Right. Well, it's interesting. A lot of organizations are doing a really great job of communicating, letting people know what's going on. You know, what is, what are some of the expectations, how we're going to perform or what are the kind of the new protocols coming in. But I think we really firmly believe it needs to be more than just communication and, and taking the kind of the approach of helping people to understand why we're doing this, giving them the compelling why will help them to kind of build that desire to get involved, to kind of follow along. So leaders have to be really good at building that compelling why. Why do we want to come back to the office? You know, what's the benefit to the organization, the benefit to you, that type of thing. It's going to be really important because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be nervous about coming back initially. So the compelling why is important. Second, there needs to be a really strong vision of the future, something that's kind of vivid and optimistic, taking kind of a now near far approach so that it gives kind of people hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel or what they can look forward to or whether the company chooses to say this is a blip or maybe they choose to say this is something bigger and it's going to change us forever. But to have that really compelling vision of the future is really going to help people. I think another thing that's really critical is very clear expectations about how to do things. So it's one thing to tell people what's happening, but giving them the understanding of how to actually do it. So like, how to ride the elevators or how to get your food, like getting to that level of granularity. Don't expect people are just going to figure it out themselves. Another big thing I think is giving people some choice and control about when and how to come back. And different companies are going to have different models. But again, that will buy you longer term goodwill. And then I think there's something around engagement. So, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of things that are mandated about how to approach coming back to the office. But maybe there's an opportunity for people to have an opportunity to kind of influence the how it happens. So creating employee groups to kind of tackle an issue, to think about how might we make this experience great and still follow along, just gets that buy-in and gives them a sense of some sense of control over their destiny. Those things are, I think, are going to be really important in terms of helping people come back to the office. I think that's a great message. And this is such a fascinating topic to me. And I think to everybody, because, you know, everybody experiences office space, right? Ultimately, I mean, there are are probably a few people that don't work in an office, but for the most part, we all do. And the way that our society interacts with office space is an unknown. So we really appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us an insight into just, you know, what people are thinking and how that transition, that that change is is going to occur and just how the enterprises at large are, are using it. And I apologize for my, this is typical COVID working from home. I got my three-year-old this, in the background. This is reality. Around. Yeah, yeah this is reality. We don't edit these things out when we're recording in quarantine. Wanted to thank you again for coming on. That was a great topic. Of course, thank you to First National for powering the podcast. And thanks again for coming on. That was a really interesting, really interesting conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.